Hey everyone, this is the Bitcoinist Podcast. I'm your host, Ty Snowham, and today we have a very special guest, Kevin McKernan of the Cannabis Genome Project, who's doing some very interesting things uh, linking weed and the blockchain. So, hey Kevin, how you doing today? Excellent, thank you for having me. This is an exciting topic, and I'm excited to talk to you guys about how medicine is going to be transformed by blockchains. Yeah, definitely. It's, uh, it's a very exciting topic. So, like I mentioned before, you're a uh, genetic scientist. Uh, you previously worked on the Human Genome Project, if I'm not mistaken. That's and right. And you're trying to take that expertise into uh, cannabis research and blockchain technology and integrating that into the medical industry. So could you tell us a little bit about your work at Medical Genomics and what you guys are trying to accomplish there? Yeah, so there's there's two things going on at medicinal genomics. There's a, there's a there's a parent company that does human genetics. So we sequence patients, usually pediatric neurology patients, uh, right. ep- epilepsy, autism, a host of things that are arguably regulated by the endocannabinoid system. And then the other side of the company is focusing on cannabis genetics because we firmly believe you need to know the genotype of the patient to properly apply the right medicine. And, and more times than not in the future, we see cannabinoids playing a role in, in neurology. They're just very safe compounds, and they grow out of the ground. All right. Yeah, that's, it's definitely a field of research that um, you know, hasn't really been tapped into until recently. That's actually a follow-up to my next question. Um, until fairly recently, it's legally conducting this kind of research on um, cannabis has been pretty much effectively impossible with all of the regulations, especially with the scheduling in the U.S. So could you give us an idea of what needed to happen to get this research going and what uh, you, you guys had to do on your end as well? Well, it's yeah, it is still complicated, although recently um, they're making some motions in the right direction. They're, they're issuing out more licenses for folks to do um, research in the plant. Our research has been very DNA-based because that's a little bit easier to work with. Whenever you isolate DNA, uh, DNA is very hydrophilic, uh, which means it doesn't want to be anywhere near the cannabinoids, which is what the DA okay. is most worried about. They don't like um, cannabinoids, and so they want those highly regulated. When you purify DNA, you get rid of the cannabinoids just by that fact alone. So, so the DNA is not scheduled like the cannabinoids are, and we can study that. So we really approached it as a what can we learn using what's currently legal, and uh, and we're here now hoping for more uh, of this regulation to change in the favor of uh, allowing more research. So um, we started looking at the genome of the plant. We sequenced that in 2011 and put it public on the cloud, hoping okay. others, others would pick it up and start uh, working with it as well. And it's resulted in probably three other publications using that data. Um, and we began focusing on safety testing. We thought that's the best place to, uh, to give people some, some comfort is uh, there's um, lots of patients using cannabis for a variety of conditions, but when the strains change, they worry. Patients get worried that they're not getting the same profile, and uh, they want to make sure that those are consistent. So we've been um, building a a DNA fingerprinting system that etches and registers the strain genotypes into the Bitcoin blockchain so that there's an open ledger of these things. So so anybody can go and access them and... um you know, use that data for, for other purposes. That's, yes. It, it's, that's a very interesting use case. Is it, is it a um, different distributed ledger? Is, there actually, is it actually a, like a side chain or implementation of the Bitcoin blockchain? No, it's, 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 quite, it's even simpler than that. It's, it's very much just a proof of existence trick where you take a, 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 a SHA, SHA sum of the sequence file and okay. spend, spend a transaction with that. 
And then people can, uh, if they maintain their DNA sequence file and the output, the SHA sum of that, they can point to a timestamp in the blockchain where the, the, uh, the output of the SHA sum exists. So they okay, can okay. effectively prove that, hey, this DNA sequence file existed at this date. And if we ever see that same sequencing file again, uh, or those same genotypes, we know it's the same strain. So we publish a lot of these strains on a site called Canopedia. Uh, that um, some some folks in the Bitcoin space helped us put together, and it's uh, it's effectively just a page that registers every strain that somebody sends us to sequence. If they choose to put it public, um, we publish it there with a link to the blockchain information. So, so it's there's sort of a pedigree system for marijuana and places like dispensaries, it is. dispensaries it is. to verify their products and stuff. Yeah, and, and it's kind of it's evolving. It's also turning into what seems to be like a notary system. Uh, so there's a lot of folks in the space that are uh, that are worried about defensive IP. Um, there are a couple cannabis patents issuing right now, and they're pretty broad. And it, they're broad because there isn't legal prior art. There's, uh, the USPTO doesn't view all of the nomenclature system that's occurred since the 60s as being really legitimate because it frankly isn't. Uh, the strain names are constantly counterfeited and nobody believes them. Uh, but genotypes of the plants help to um, put a, a layer of fidelity on that information that can't be fabricated. So, okay. so, so it's helping bring legitimacy to the previously. I think so. And, and also people, by putting their genotypes out there, um, they can say, hey, this, this was in use at this date that you see in the blockchain. Therefore, um, we can't get submarined by, a, uh, by another patent that, uh, that speaks to the same genetics. Uh, they, don't, they haven't had that before because you couldn't really go get your cannabis plant notarized without getting handcuffs. So um, – this is a, a tool that I think some folks are seeing to use as that. Others are using it just as, an, as a curiosity as to what it is they have in their production process and is it ever changing on them. And I think that's actually going to probably be the bigger um, utilization of it in the future is we're going to start to see people want to use these blockchain ledgers as you know, manufacturing tools uh, to prove the chain of custody through a manufacturing process. Okay. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I, I don't know if it's the case with um... – cannabis, but I know other plants have some serious genetic drift if you let them produce sexually. So clonal varieties and the like would be benefited from this process as well. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so it's a good point. So you know something about cannabis and it can be clonally propagated. Um, but like many microbreweries, um, you know, when you're in a market that has questionable IP, uh, like the fashion industry, you see people revving new strains every six months, just like you see in the food industry, uh, the menu will change, just like you see in the beer industry, they'll have new brews out every six months. That happens in the cannabis space as well. People want to be evol you know, changing these strains. So seasonality occurs where people will do some breeding and come up with some new strains every year. And then once they like the ones they find, they graduate a few of those into production and clone them out. Um, so sequencing becomes a very cheap way to measure what's going on in your clone production process because all you have to do is sequence one of those plants and you have an understanding of another hundred. All right, yeah, yeah. I so, could definitely see the utility of that. And um, if I'm not mistaken, you guys offer some other services as well? Um, we do. So most of our um, efforts actually been on safety testing for uh, the bacteria that grows in the plant. So the, the plant itself has proven to be fairly safe despite what you might hear from folks who, who want to shove this to the FDA, and, and we applaud folks who do that. It's, it's, uh, that's, that's one approach to the market. But mm -hmm. there's always going to be this dispensary market, we believe, because of the way the voter-based initiatives are, are moving along. And the only deaths in the clinical literature on cannabis aren't related to cannabinoids of toxicity. They're related to microbes that grow in the plant. 
so you might get an E. coli or salmonella type of food poisoning event, or you might get aspergillus in your lungs. And yeah, there's that's a, never good. That's never good. That, that causes aspergillosis. Aspergillosis has like a 50% fatality rate. And uh, it's usually harmless to people that aren't immunocompromised. I mean, we probably breathe in 300 uh, aspergillus spores every day, but if you're immunocompromised and it's on your cannabis, um, there have been cases of people that have, um, have died from that. There was a case actually just last year in Canada where they found the aspergillus and penicillium species not only on the patient's cannabis but also in their lungs. So that was kind of the hardest clear case of transferability yeah. of the spores from the medicine into the patient's lungs. And, and that's yeah. And you'd imagine. Oh, sorry if I'm interrupting here. No, go ahead. If you'd imagine in places where medical marijuana is uh, legal, that immunocompromised patients uh, using using the drug would probably have a sort of higher correlation there. Exactly. So it's Yeah, and the other thing is that some folks are vaporizing this now and the vaporization doesn't actually uh it's not a pyrolytic. It doesn't actually sterilize the spores. So many okay. of these many of these spores are pasteurization resistant like you'll see from Clostridium botulinum, that's the one that makes botulism, and aspergillus. These things can survive a, a typical pasteurization you might do on a crop. And sneak through. So what we've been doing is making DNA-based tests that measure for these things. And we published one paper on this last year that's already out, and we have another one in review right now that's looking at the microbiomes that are on the plant to help guide um, this process. And it's 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 quite important from an industrial standpoint because there's about 20 to 25% failure rates in a lot of states for yeast and mold and for the microbiology yes. in the plant. And, and that's high. That's a, like for a plant that's fifteen hundred dollars a pound. That's a tremendous amount of waste. And then if you look at the the amount of pesticide failures there are, it's like fifty percent. So there's almost a seventy, a sixty to seventy percent failure rate on the stuff that's coming off the the this nascent market. Um, now the pesticides are predominantly fungicides, which people are presumably applying because they're having a lot of yeast and mold failure. Um, and these fungicides are like things like Eagle 20. You've probably heard of recalls in Colorado. Yeah, yeah. They make hydrogen cyanide when you when you um, when you smoke them. So That's... we don't we don't want that. Uh, we yeah, want to get the, the safety testing right so people actually um, can nail this problem and have a much lower failure rate. And and the genetics are really really important in that. Mm -hmm. And uh, safety testing has always been uh, one of the key elements that brings legitimacy to. Um drug markets, legal or, or illegal. I was wondering how you felt about uh, the utility of Bitcoin in buying um, illegal objects and drugs and services. And it's, it's a, funny. a lot of yeah. economists are actually calling it, like just ignoring that market entirely and calling it um, sort of illegitimate transactions because it's outside of the law. And I, I wonder what your views are on that and then also how that relates to your um, sort of blockchain pedigree system. If I'm not so, wrong in calling it that. Yeah, we, we take this strictly scientifically in that we want chain of custody of information, and you can't get that with the U.S. dollar. You can get it with Bitcoin. You can see every single transaction on a public ledger, and it is the right currency for that field. If regulators are really worried about, uh, about cryptocurrencies in this field, they have got the story completely upside down. You can drive, just like they're driving seed-to-sale tracking in Colorado, you can do complete financial transparency with Bitcoin. So we're very pro um, and supportive of that. I'm going to actually be speaking at a crypto cannabis conference out in, in Denver in a few weeks because 
Um, this is the way to, to quell fear, is to show, look, we have an open ledger of all the transactions. What you have right now in the state of Colorado are people carrying around hockey bags full of cash with armed guards. It's crazy. Uh, and th this, I don't know when the, the FinCEN and banking ranks are going to lift, but presumably it's not happening this year, and uh, it may not even happen in the next election cycle. So I think um, we should make a really strong case to some of the regulators that they should embrace Bitcoin uh, as, as a mechanism that they can, they can get better auditing trails on uh, every dollar spent in the industry. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's, the, uh, it's a very similar regulatory environment. Um... In the porn industry right now, um, a lot of a lot of actors in that uh, form of entertainment are finding it very hard to do banking and other things uh, financially because um, a, a lot of what they do in their work um, isn't considered legitimate, and that can cause headaches for them. So, s seeing that in other places where Bitcoin has legitimate um, uses is definitely nice. Um, but, but no. Uh, I'm sorry, I completely lost my train of thought there. Um, tell us about uh, the industry services you're offering, the um, outside of sequencing, because so the uh, the main uh, thrust of the business here is sequencing patients. Uh, so we're a CLIA and CAP certified laboratory that sequences exomes and uh, usually anywhere between 500 to 1,000 genes in a patient is is um, probably the right thing to do. But occasionally some physicians want to sequence entire entire exomes. That's all 20,000 genes at once for a patient, um, and this usually helps profile the patient for what drugs they're more likely to respond to. And, and okay. there's there's now a couple cases showing that are. Uh, just making their way through the FDA, that would imply if you're a patient with Dravet or, or Lennox Gestalt, these are forms of epilepsy, that you might be um, better suited jumping to cannabidiol, a compound out of the plant um, that, that GW Pharma is putting through the FDA. Okay. So we're, be we're beginning to find these personalized markers that will help predict which patients should get which cannabinoids. And our long-term wow. dream and vision is to connect your genotype to the, you know, the right genotype of, of the plant uh, or the right genotype of the plant that predicts the compounds it's going to make so that we can personalize this and uh, reduce the, the cost of healthcare. I think that the biggest challenge we have in the FDA right now is uh, this one-size-fits-all approval process where drugs are meant to uh, be applied to the entire population. Um, that's, yeah. that's no longer working. We need to get libertarian about this and, and begin thinking about personalized medicine and really fundamentally change the structure of the FDA so it's affordable enough to do rare disease and do drugs that may only hit 10,000 people. Um, and they're, they're, they're evolving in that direction. And, and, but I, I do think it's going to need a little bit of decentralization for that to really happen. And we do view this, this cannabis industry, which they seem to be leaving alone currently as a kind of nutraceutical market. Yeah. To be that laboratory of, of pharmacological democracy where folks can actually experiment with fairly safe compounds. There aren't any clinical deaths from cannabis. Um, and, uh, and, and to find out what works for them through the, this, this voter initiative. When they find good use cases, I think maybe someone will pick up uh, – will try and pick those up and put them through the FDA. But um, that's a bit of an unknown based on IP. You, you really need IP to probably afford the FDA process uh, unless they can get more efficient um, in, in the era of personalized medicine. So it's a bit of an unknown as to how much of this market is going to evolve through the FDA or, or sort of through nutraceutical dispensary-based initiatives. But we're betting on it probably happening, you know, co-evolving in both. All right. Awesome. And uh, you're going to be a speaker at the Crypto Cannabis Conference, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Um, could you tell us a little bit about your aims in uh, speaking there and just what you're trying to get out there? 
Well, I have always been um, a proponent of getting the blockchain involved in digital medical records. And I know a lot of people think that's a horrible idea because of you know exposure of health information. But if you understand the blockchain system, you know that you can put information up there without giving away the keys. Um, yeah, there are things like ZKCP or uh, side chains that make privacy better. Um, exactly. There are some other scaling and infrastructure concerns, though, that I find a little bit more compelling. But go on. Yes, you do. Agreed. Um, block sizes and everything, it's not a good repository for, for large sets of data. It's a great repository for timestamping critical data. And things yeah. like MadeSafe uh, and, and, and other things that can take a patient's data, give the patient the ability to spread that all over the internet in an encrypted fashion that's easy to retrieve and only they can retrieve the data. And they can choose to give those keys to whoever they want, to whatever physician they, they walk into, saying, here's the key to all of my medical records. And they don't have to try and wrestle it out of another centralized database at, at, at let's say, MGH, right? And this is, I'm not targeting MGH for any reason, just simply saying that the, each hospital has their own honeypot of data. And we're starting to see cases. Um, there was a hospital, I think, in Kansas where their medical records got, got hacked, and because there's now a motivation to hack, uh, one of the motivations is a HIPAA law that has a pretty hefty fine for every violation of health information that an organization has. So if somebody grabs a hospital database, they hold them ransom for it. And this has already happened. And it's yeah, going mean, to happen again. Ransomware cases, which is, funnily enough, this would be the blockchain protecting medical records as opposed to enabling people to demand money for them so yeah we don't want honey pots, pots that can get hacked of you know 100 million medical records and then hold hospitals ransom for we want to be able to put the keys into the hands of the patients because according to hipaa law the patients own the data not the hospitals yeah. uh and yeah. so they should and be able to provide the keys i'd say until you get into the convenience parts of it you know what what are hospitals allowed to keep are they allowed to transfer between each other because as soon as you have a repository of keys in the hands of medical institutions, the same problem starts again. It does. It does. But I, I am hopeful that there'll be, there'll be better governance through a blockchain-based um, approach to that. And so we're, we're looking at that as being a problem that can help medical records, but also help the, you know, the records of, of cannabis diversity and strains that are out in the marketplace so that if someone is traveling state to state and they know one strain always works and they show up in another state, they don't have that strain, what do they do? Well, if they uh, they can't just look at the THC content because we know you can take ten different strains with ten with the same identical THC content and get a different result from each one of them. At least that's what a lot of patients report. So uh, there needs to be something that can say this is the genetically closest thing that we've got in this location, um, and there you go. You're uh, the closest thing to to um, zeroing in on the right the right uh, product barcode, if you will, in the field. All right, um, absolutely, yeah. Um... So, so a lot of the work you're doing is in um, just uh, transparency and uh, safety in um, the field of uh, medical marijuana. And uh, the implementation of the blockchain is just to offer sort of, you know, a, a proof system, which yes, we've, yeah. we've seen at other places. I, I think it works really well as a version control system more than a repository of information. You're right. Um, absolutely, it doesn't have the right. It doesn't have. It's not meant to be to store large blocks of data. And and see, seeing that implemented properly in in a place like um, medical marijuana is very encouraging. Just because there are so many other things, it it almost seems right now that uh, blockchain is becoming a euphemism for uh, distributed database, but worse. 
So <laughs> I was wondering if you could comment on that and just if, if that affected your methodology and sort of finding the solution at all. Well, so databases, I think you can take a, a loose and soft database and harden it with blockchains. And I think that's the right method. You, you put the large blobs of data in a database that's fairly editable, but you can use blockchains to create MD5 or check some like of inf information in terms of timestamps when things have temporal um, meaning and are, and are important. Um, I think that's the case with a lot of things in, in the manufacturing process. But no, I'm not view viewing the current blockchain as, as some large distributed database that has seven transactions per second. That's not, that's not very useful. Um, I believe you're right in pointing out sidechains. You can build several types of sidechains on this that have much higher transaction frequencies and perhaps every 24 hours they synchronize with a Bitcoin blockchain to make sure every day's transactions have, are, are all perfectly resolved. Um, so it, it, I, I view it as something very complementary. But where they're, where they're really needed is um, where you are concerned that somebody can walk off with the database, right? So let's yeah. say we did all this work tracking all the strains in the marketplace, and then one day Monsanto buys us and decides to shut it down. Um, now everyone's strains that they're relying on are, are tapped up in that acquisition and could possibly, uh, we, we lose all of that. However, if we're giving all the, everybody their, own, their, their DNA sequencing information back and a token uh, or a transaction address in the, in the blockchain, um, other people can then recapitulate the instance of that database uh, and, and the data is not necessarily gone. So we like the, the, the fact that the blockchain seems to be a lot more, uh, or a lot less ephemeral, if you will, and a lot yeah. more resistant to, let's say, M&A activity that might radically change access to information. Uh, and it puts more of the power into the consumer about what happens with that data than it does to the company delivering it. All right. And uh, are there plans in the future to offer, you know, incentives for hosting this strain blockchain or... Um, anything like that? Are there plans to so, sort of evangelize it and get more people hosting it? Yeah, so we do have um, the data is put. Uh, what do we have? Um, there's probably three or four hundred strains that are now up there now on the public uh, Canopedia, and uh, we also provide. There's probably thirty to forty different DNA sequence files. This, this is the raw sequence, so people can understand how to play with that if they want to. Um, uh, you know, analyze it differently and come up with new algorithms to use it. And already we've had uh, two or three other people publish on the data that we've put public uh, where they've been able to take it and do different things with it and find things we couldn't find. So uh, there is a little bit of a laboratory there going on. I'm hopeful that if enough people use this, we will begin to have the information available for folks to sort out sort of the evol evolutionary history of, of cannabis. Oh, okay. Right, you know, right now we have a sampling of what's in the market today, and that's interesting. But what about the material of sixty years ago, hundred years ago, thousand years ago? How did this thing actually evolve? Well, there are things that you can do in genetics that help infer that timeline. In fact, they did this in the in Iceland, where they were able to sequence maybe I think five thousand of the citizens of Iceland and impute and all two hundred fifty thousand uh, people back to the first sixteen that showed up with the sagas back in yeah. God knows when. Um, and we can do that in the human genome. We see that with mitochondrial Eve, right? We can track some of the genetic history of things by knowing enough of who's in the current population. So I'm hopeful some type of distributed consensus will emerge on the, on the cannabis genome uh, through something like this, but I don't exactly know what that looks like yet. I'm hopeful that by putting more of this public, other minds will tackle that and, 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 and maybe uh, we'll get to that, that answer sooner. Yeah, and there's always opportunities for like large-scale data analysis. It's the... Um wealth of information grows too so 
that'll be interesting to see for sure. Um, any anything you want to uh, leave us with? Um, you know, thoughts. Uh... Certainly, I'll throw out a plug for those interested in this field. There's the off. There's this crypto cannabis conference in in um, in Denver in uh, I think it's October twentieth. But if folks are interested in personalized medicine and how that um, couples with cannabinoids, there's a conference being held at Harvard Med School in April called the CanMed 2017 conference. And we are looking for Bitcoin speakers to try and diversify um, that story. It's going to speak about personalized medicine. It's going to speak about cannabinoids and some regulation around that. But we also want to get folks involved with Bitcoin uh, informatics, if you will, and uh, and maybe even Bitcoin as a currency to help this field um, to try and bring uh, all the exciting transformation that's going on in the blockchain space into, into medicine. All right, everybody. That was Kevin McKernan with Medicinal Genomics. Check out his talk later in October. For the crypto cannabis conference that should be interesting and if you want to read more about his work and what medicinal genomics does check it out um on the links below thanks for coming on man it's been a pleasure all right thank you so much appreciate the time take care that was the bitcoinist podcast episode seven if you like what you're hearing or you're here for the first time you can check us out on bitcoinist.net slash podcast we're also on soundcloud stitcher and itunes if you do like what you're hearing, please leave a review on any of those sites or email us at bitcoinistpodcast at gmail.com because we thrive on feedback and every little bit helps. Be sure to tune into next week's episode where we'll be interviewing Sinclair Skinner of bitmari.org, a project seeking to empower Zimbabwean farmers through the blockchain. I'm happy. I'm feeling glad I got sunshine. In a bag, I'm useless And not for long, the future is coming on Finally, someone let me out of my cage Now, time for me is nothing, cause I'm counting no A's Now, I couldn't be there Now, you shouldn't be scared I'm good at repairs, and I'm under each snare Intangible, that you didn't think, so I command you to Panoramic view, look, I'll make it all manageable Pick and choose, sit and lose, all you different crews Chicks and dudes, who you think is really picking tunes Picture you getting down in a pigeon tube Like you lit the fuse You think it's fictional, mystical, maybe Spiritual, hero who appears in you To clear your view when you're too crazy Lifeless to those with definition for what life is Priceless to you because I put you on the hype You like it, gun smoke, you're righteous with one Talk your psychic among those possess you with one go I'm feeling glad I got sunshine In a bag I'm useless Not for long the future is coming on And happy I'm feeling glad I got sunshine In a bag I'm useless Not for long the future is coming on The essence, the basics, without it you make it Allow me to make this childlike in nature Rhythm, you have it or you don't, that's a fallacy I'm in them Every sprouting tree, every child of peace, every cloud and sea. You see with your eyes and see the structure and the mind. Corruption in the skies from the enterprise. Now I'm sucked into your life through us. So not as muscles, but percussion to provide. With me as the guide. Y'all can see me now because you don't see with your eye. You perceive with your mind. That's the inner. So I'ma stick around with us and be a mentor. But the few rhymes of Remember what the thought is I brought all this so you could survive When law is lawless Feeling sensations that you thought was dead No squealing, remember Hey, happy I'm feeling glad I got sunshine